An Altar on the Village Green From Book One of The Chained God Written by Nathan Hall Narration, Music, and Sound Design by Alex Schiffer Episode 4, A Village in Twilight At a crossroads, a weathered sign that might have been put up in my grandparents' day read, Eordon. The name didn't surprise me, but it still seemed to throw a shadow across the world. The nation of Eordon had fallen while I was still young. Childhood had insulated me from the full knowledge of what happened. But the fall of Eordon had convinced the world we only waited our turn to be swallowed up. My god knew better than I what our world needed. Depending on which of Eordon's cities I was being sent to, the journey might take as much as two weeks or as little as a few days. My pack was all but empty, but it contained snares and sling. In any case, the summer would provide plenty of wild berries and edible tubers. The forest was alive around me. Wind danced through leaves and cooled the glare of the afternoon sun. The scent of pine and flowers and soil were thick in the air. Even as I thought of food, I spotted a squirrel on a high branch. No, foraging in the forest would be no trouble at all. My mind returned again and again to Eordon. During my long years of study, I'd read a dozen books of the Fallen Kingdom. It had long been known as the closest ally to the Church of Chains. An old kingdom, prosperous and beautiful, pious and strong. Over the course of only a year, the kingdom had crumbled. Communication had grown sparse and then stopped entirely. Travelers never returned. Lances sent in hopes of freeing Eordon fell. If I failed, the High Cantor would follow me, trying to reclaim the book and blade. Without a single cantor, the church would be rudderless. And if he failed... Tales of horror had a way of inoculating a page against hopelessness, and instilling a dark humor. Despite myself, the image of that old man navigating the fallen trees and briar bushes made me laugh. I could almost hear his chains scaring away the wildlife. That or his curses when his chains got tangled. The path had been overgrown with weeds and tall grass the trees overhead knitting in places to block the sun. So seeing sunlight suddenly ahead felt like stepping out of a cave. A great tree had fallen, taking with it any number of smaller neighbors, breaking open a giant tear in the green canopy overhead. I was climbing over the fallen tree as I got a good look at the sky. When my eyes found the sun, I stopped short the laugh dying on my lips. A chill-like winter sliced through the heat of the day to make me tremble. The sun stood above me, noon high, 
as it had before I'd left the road hours prior. Panic clawed at my throat, but I made myself breathe, made myself think. The borders of horror spread from the source like a ripple in a pond. Ripples one could see and couldn't normally escape from once inside. The size of the ripples and the outer edges where they touched seemed arbitrary. Sometimes crossing a river or entering a clearing or even passing a line on the map could drop one into the madness. Other times, they were as small as stepping into a specific building or even touching one particular item. It had been speculated that the size of a horror was related to the area in which the original events had taken place. Others suppose that it somehow corresponded to the strength of the horror, and how complete its grip was. The ripples of Eordon's horror reached much further than I'd expected. I tried not to guess as to what that might mean. That pressed bruise feeling had guided me more clearly than the road. The grip on that bruise had tightened, the pull toward its source even more urgent. I started forward again, pushing onto the overgrowth path ahead. As I moved through the dense woods, my mind lingered on the strangeness of time in the fallen lands. Only now, as I kept my mind alert for any change, did I notice the sun's heat drawing back like a curtain. The day was still warm, but by the step, it seemed I moved back into spring. Was the shrinking warmth real, or was the madness of the land already infecting me? Was it more comforting to think that I or the world was mad? And then my hands brushed aside low-hanging branches and knocked down blossoms. And the next, a few trees distant were still flowering. Beyond that, near the edge of the next clearing, Buds were still closed on branches. The same held for bushes and wildflowers. I was stepping backward through time into a warm new spring day. My mind still reeled when the sun moved, not by the hair, but by finger widths, jumping in the sky toward the horizon. I pushed into the open with the sun streaking the sky red in early twilight. I stepped out onto a broad, stony plateau. Grass fought a battle with the hillside and lost, dying out in stubborn, weed-eaten patches. Near the tip of the plateau, like a barbed arrow punched through the ground, an anchor glittered in twilight. As I neared the anchor, my eyes followed the land beyond the plateau's lip. Tall, thin wooden houses sat in scattered handfuls, as if some giant being had rolled a hundred dice. A dirt road cut most of the village in two, winding from the stairs leading down from the plateau, around a bend toward a village green, on which a broad platform seemed newly erected. What few people I could see in town didn't clump together in the friendly knots I was familiar with, but instead crowded close together. Instead of the lazy circles I was used to seeing, 
Some of the figures were running. Smoke rose from chimneys and from thatched roofs that had been set alight and from mounds that my mind tried not to make sense of. The wind turned and I could smell smoke. I could taste blood. I could hear screams. Six. A lesson. I'd expected to be sent to save an entire kingdom, or a major city, or even a major trading town. Instead, before me lay a ramshackle village lost in the woods. It was a callous thought, resentful, childish. I might have helped more people at the breadlines, or patrolling the roads for bandits, than journeying to this village. Why had my god sent me here, when so many millions were suffering? My hand hesitated inches away from the anchor. Touching its sharp edge would bind me to this place, and to whatever horror awaited me below. Chained until I found the source of the madness and destroyed it. Chained until I fell to the madness and joined the townsfolk forever. I wasn't meant to be a hero the church told tales of. That was what my god was showing me by sending me here, of all places. Thinking I deserved the book and blade was arrogance, and moving forward would only doom the blade to a land in madness, doom the world to a slow dwindling. A scream split the air, closer and more urgent than other cries in the twilight. A boy, it sounded like, barely more than a child. A cry of agony that raked down my back in goose flesh. Swallowing my questions, swallowing my fear, I drove my hand forward. In my haste, my palm slipped against the anchor's edge, slicing open a long gash. Blood trickled into the pool of ichor below, and the whole world throbbed red. Lines as bright and orange as the fiery sky pressed in on me, as if my whole body were a wound. Flickers of red strung along the entirety of the village, too many to count before they started to fade, let alone to remember their locations. Each crimson shape, almost etching into my skin, was one person, one moment of suffering. Further away, the village green glowed like the sun, gouging at my eyes, my destination. Pulling the cap from the flask was tricky with one hand, but pain was a strong motivator. I took a swig of ice and tried to hold myself to gasps and quiet sobs as my entire hand flared as though submerged in molten lead. I stood suspended in agony for an eternity, for a heartbeat, as the wound knit closed. Once I regained my breath, I wiped the last of the blood on the leg of my pants. Neatness was no longer a concern. By the end of this unnatural night, I'd be lucky if I was only covered in my blood. The sword slid free with a sound like a hushed breath, its blade glittering in the half-light. Runes like those on my god floated below the smooth surface of the blade, 
as though they had been etched from within. The practice swords I'd trained with as a page had been a poor facsimile of this ancient weapon. The single, curved, true edge and the false edge at its tip was a shape I was already accustomed to wielding, and the hand-and-a-half grip came naturally. Each of the lance's weapons had been unique, and yet this was the only type I had ever trained with. The church had focused their training on their only remaining blade. Had the entire leadership given up hope, as Kento Araz had seemed to? A question for later. The screams were happening now. I took the weathered stone steps down from the plateau in near-complete darkness, only slow enough not to miss a step. My feet found packed earth. Before long, I could see again, by the light of distant fires. The street was in disarray. Here an overturned basket of clothes, there an abandoned crate of vegetables, here a broken cart slouching awkwardly across part of the road, there a mud puddle, and the dropped bucket that had caused it, here a streak of blood on a wall, there scorched and gutted buildings. Bodies had been stacked into grotesque piles and burned, entire families fused into charcoal monstrosities. Those near the edge of town had long since died out. Not far distant, the boys' cries went on and on. I ducked off the road behind one of the houses at the sound of approaching footsteps. First learn what madness this was, then explore the way, then reach the focus and destroy it. That's Omal's scene too, said a woman sounding as though reading a list for market. And Defia's. Taddy and her husband still have one. Sophia has one more, a man said. If the woman's words had been dispassionate, the man's were hot enough to forge fires. Her cousins, remember? She always was a sneak. We'll teach her fair's fair. The boy's crying turned to howling, not five buildings down. In that cry, I heard the cry of the boy with plague, the child's suffering turning moments into eternities. The same helplessness crawled in my gut as I crouched against the side of the house. Would I be any more able to ease the boy's suffering using the blade in my hands than I had been with a damp rag to wipe away fever sweat? If this group heard, they gave no sign. I ducked further back as torchlight threw a long shadow from the street. She'll fight, a third voice said. A man, mousy and afraid. <laughs> no, she won't, the leader laughed, a sound like firewood crackling. She's still got one cooking. She can choose which one goes to the green. Somewhere in the village... A different scream tore into the night. A woman. The boy was now eerily quiet. People were dying. While I hid behind a wall, they were dying. I told myself that they had died already, 
that they suffered this for eternity. That the moments of death before the cycle restarted might be their only relief. It didn't assuage my shame. People were dying, and I was doing nothing. Isaac, what about when we run out of children? My lips repeated, out of children. Peeking around the corner, I caught a glimpse of the group. A woman on one side, dress ripped to knee length, knife in hand. A man on the other, rumpled hat hiding his face, gore-coated pitchfork casting a long, shaking shadow. The leader stood in the middle. It was his torch that cast everything in stark, flickering light. Tall, slim, wearing a solid wool coat. He would have been handsome were it not for the severe set of his mouth. His eyes were flat as he considered the frightened man's question. Then we start tying adults to the altar. Altar. My stomach turned, and I pressed my lips together as the feeling passed. But that won't... I don't care! The heat in his voice burst to new life as he turned on the frightened man. The man with the hat jumped, dropping his weapon with a clatter. They're cowards, all of them. They're going to admit it one by one if I have to tear the truth from them with my bare hands. Only as he mentioned them did I notice his hands and forearms, clotted in layers with blood, old and new. Whatever had happened at the village green, at the altar, this man was clearly the source of it. I'd caught him on a patrol, saving myself from wading into the town and whatever horror awaited me there. I could kill this man, destroy the source of all this horror, and be finished here quickly. Return to the church with success, prove that it was possible. Or maybe I could continue on, as my childhood heroes had as Cantor Arez had, and free more lands, more people, like one sweep of the scythe. While the hatted man still fumbled to reclaim his pitchfork, I darted from behind the house. The woman turned toward the darkness from which I'd sprung, her face drawn back in shock and almost childlike fear. These are murderers, I reminded myself. But these were people. Who could say what they had been like before the terror had infected the town? How much it had twisted them to suit its purpose? I'd been trained to call the blade mercy for those consumed by the madness. But in that woman's eyes, I saw fear. Bracing myself against the grip of guilt, I raised my sword. An impact lifted me off my feet, hurling me face first onto the road. My sword tumbled from my grasp and crunched on the ground in front of me. I tried to remind myself to breathe, tried to put my hands beneath me. The half-breath I managed burst from me in a wheezing cough, and agony lurched throughout my body. 
my next breath turned to hacking, and then attempting breath was impossible. Slick and dark blood spilled from my lips. My hands flopped, fumbled, scrabbled, twitched. Above me, a shape stepped away. The frightened man? But without his pitchfork. Another shape. Isolak handed off the torch. Almost took my head off, the woman said, her hand at her neck as if she could feel the wound. The leader bent down and picked up my sword. I tried to object, could only choke on my own blood. Darkness ate at the edges of my vision, but I fought for consciousness. My fingertips scratched at the hard leather of his boots. My sword. Fine blade, the man said. For a coward. The sword flashed in the light. The world fell away into agony. This has been chapters 5 and 6 of An Altar on the Village Green, from Book 1 of The Chained God, written by Nathan Hall. Edited by Sarah Chorn. Original print cover by Luke Tarzian. And podcast cover by Van Fulfs. Copyright 2021 by Nathan Hall. All rights reserved.